welcome to More to Come, Publishers Weekly's weekly comic book podcast and newsletter. Um, and we are here as part of our Rosa Versailles special with an expert on Rosa Versailles as a cultural phenomenon in Japan and the connection that this cultural phenomenon has to Takarazuka. I have on board with me today a kitty of the Takarazuka fan podcast. Where can we find this podcast? Hi. Uh, so the Takarazuka fan podcast is uh, we just talk about Takarazuka shows. If you just search Takarazuka fan podcast, we are basically uh, the only ones. So you're not going to have trouble finding it. Um, if you haven't heard of Takarazuka before and are wondering why, what it is and why it has fans, Takarazuka is a Japanese theatrical company that is all women and it's yeah. been going for a hundred years now. <laughs> I think, um, I think we need to give the listener just a little bit more of a taste of what Takarazuka's visual and uh, artistic style is because um, someone else we interviewed as part of this special uh, described it as like a low culture version of Kabuki, which I was like, that really with women. And I was like, that really doesn't explain it all. No, it's uh, uh, And I think Kitty that maybe, maybe you have a better way of getting it yeah, to our listeners. It's- it's not actually related to Kabuki at all, um, except when it collaborates with Kabuki, which it has done. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what what Takarazuka is? If I were to go to a Takarazuka show, what would I see? What is it like? Okay. Um, can you picture the Ziegfeld Follies? Is that a... Too old cultural reference. I think for some people it is, and for some people yeah. it's not. Um, so it's you- the kind of, um, kind of the MGM spectacle musical film, but on stage. So it's a ve- it's a large company. They do uh, very grand productions. Um, and they're probably like the most famous image of Takarazuka is when they do their finales. They have a huge staircase that everyone comes down in costume and the stars will be wearing huge uh, trains of feathers. So it's, it's all, it's all very showy. Yeah. And kind of like it's, it's very, oriented on on spectacle and fantasy and kind of enveloping you in this in this world where everything is all very very sparkly uh and also all of the performers are women <laughs> that's that's also one of the very important parts yes and i think before we explain what is going on gender-wise with Rosa Versailles and how that interacts with Takarazuka, it might be helpful to explain to the listeners just how gender roles are selected amongst the cast. Yeah, so in Takarazuka, performers... To get into Takarazuka, you have to take uh, two years of training in their preparatory school. At least that's how it's worked currently. It has varied at different times in the past, but there always has been a training period. And before you graduate from the training school, you have to decide whether you're going to play male roles or female roles. And to some extent, this is kind of uh, decided uh, well in advance because a lot of it is based on height. So kind of 
if you're below a certain height, you're going to play girls. And if you're above a certain height, you're going to play boys. Uh, and then if you're kind of on the borderline, it's more free choice. But basically, and then, then you do more specialized training for more uh, masculine presentation or more feminine presentation. So the, and once, once you debut, it's usually pretty fixed. You can switch from male roles to female roles, but you cannot really go the other way. So, as uh, was brought up in a uh, different segment, um, there's a certain relationship between Takarazuka and manga in that mm-hmm. um, Takarazuka adapts a lot of manga stories and also um, dating back to um, the very earliest days of manga, a lot of manga has been Takarazuka influenced in style. Yes. Um, what would you say the interaction between Rose of Versailles and Takarazuka has been like? It's, it's kind of a two-way street. Yeah, it is a little bit. Uh, so the manga itself, the um, the Gekiga, because most, if you if you look at the interviews of the of the Takarajens talking about it, the Takarazuka performers, most people talking about it back from the seventies are going to say Gekiga, uh, which is a slightly different term. Um. But anyway, the the comic was completed before Takarazuka put out their adaptation. But it was one of the... They were pretty much the first adaptation of Rosa Versailles. I don't even think there had been an audio drama at that point. So there was a lot of concern as to whether it was going to work so um yeah as as we're going both ways i don't think takaraska itself had a huge influence on rosa versailles apart from uh the aesthetics of takaraska being very influential on the aesthetics of shoujo manga at first but later on, Ikeda Ryoko became very involved in some later productions. So there's actually a series of four spin-off musicals that are called the, the Gaiden musicals. And those were made from outlines that Ikeda Ryoko wrote. She didn't write the full scripts, but she... She seems to have written detailed outlines and given them to the Takarazuka writers. And later on, these are not part of the publication through Udon, I believe, but the new episode comics, which were published, I think, between starting in 1913, they would be volumes 11 through 14. Um, I don't think those, you mean 1913. I mean, yeah, 2013, right? <laughs> uh, some of those are basically, they seem to be uh, those same outlines, but filled out by Ikeda-sensei instead of the Takarazuka writers. So, set the scene for our listeners, because as I've mentioned when introducing you, you're not just a host (laughs) on the Takarazuka Fan Podcast. You make a specialty of Rosa Versailles. Yeah, I am 
the the go to person who will not shut up about Takarazuka's Rosa Versailles musicals. Yeah. Yeah. Can you exp- so as as an expert, I'm I'm putting it to you. <laughs> can you explain to our listeners just what a phenomenon Rosa Versailles was in yeah. Japan when it came out and and it's now placed as a phenomenon in Japan today. Yeah. So the comic the comic was already a phenomenon. Like it exploded. Uh there's stories I haven't personally gone and substantiated these, but there's stories that when Oscar spoilers, when Oscar died in the Rose of Versailles comics in the original releases, um they had to cancel classes in schools because girls were fully distraught over this. Um, so it was already primed to blow up. Uh, and then Takarazuka, so the manga ends in 1973. Takarazuka at the time was in a little bit of a low swing. They had staged a comeback after the Second World War, but after that they were kind of sliding again because they were competing with television. Uh, so they were trying to find something really new that they could do. And a lot of Takarazuka fans had been saying that this would be something good for Takarazuka to do. But main, mainstream fans didn't uh, – we'll, we'll come back to that. So, yeah. yeah um, so I, I want to stop you right there and uh-huh. ask you a question. What do you think Takarazuka fans spotted about Rosa Versailles that makes it and made it a good fit for Takarazuka? Uh, so – some of this is is uh based on things that the first actress to play Oscar said in some interviews that I've read. But basically, she was getting the manga pushed at her by her fans months before Takarazuka actually announced they were going to do it. So basically, the character lineup of Rosa Versailles is really good for Takarazuka because you have a lot of very, very beautiful male characters who wear nice outfits and have feelings. And then you have um, the extremely gorgeous and feminine Marie Antoinette. And you have Oscar, who uh, is uh, very beautiful, but wears male clothes and is, is just very gender very androgynous so it's it's a lot that's appealing and it's also like this very sweeping theatrical plot as well so so it's a lot of things that that uh were were very prime for takaraska's aesthetic although interestingly they hadn't they had they at that time they had not done a lot of very large scale period western costumed plays okay thank you for forgiving me for our diversion back (laughs) to the 1970s okay so yeah in the 1970s manga fans the manga's just ended but they're all still very high off of that Takarazuka fans have noticed the comic um, so then they, they finally decide they're going to do Rosa of Versailles and it gets announced. Um, and immediately there is a lot of people are very, very excited. Um, a lot of people are very, very skeptical about having human beings trying to play the characters drawn by Ikeda Ryoko and there are some nasty letters sent to uh, some of the 
the cast members who are announced. And for for the cast announcement, this is not a normal thing that Takahasuka does. They they made everyone who is going to be in the show get up on stage after a completely different, unrelated performance and announce who they were going to play in Rosa Versailles because it was such a big deal and people were so expectant of this. And apparently it was like absolutely terrifying because nobody really knew how anyone was going to react to this. And how so, did people react? So I I have not heard what what the reaction so there's still once the the announcement and the production is going forward nobody's still really sure what's going to happen so there isn't really a big reaction until the show actually starts but um even Takarazuka was pretty unsure that they were going to be able to put this over but one of the earliest promotions for the musical was the first star, well, the first actress who was going to play Oscar, because she was in the first script. Oscar is not actually the star. The first mm. script has Marie Antoinette as the lead. Um, But one of the first promotions was... Haruna Yuri, who plays Oscar in the very first production, she goes to the uh, production offices of Shueisha for a photo shoot that's going to be printed in Margaret. And she had not been done up in the full costume and makeup before. So when she gets there, the, the script writer is there. I think also the director is there. All of the Shueisha people is there. And she walks in and all of them are like, oh, thank goodness. This will actually work. <laughs> She's perfect. Um, so once, once the production actually starts, it's instantly a immense hit. So kind of nobody... Uh, most of Takarazuka does nothing but Rosa Versailles for a while. Yeah, and this is interesting because something I think you were getting at when you are talking about the leads is that unusually for Takarazuka, Oscar is usually played by a woman who specializes in playing men. Yes. Yes, that's that's always the case, yes. So, people who are familiar with Takarazuka may have heard of the top star system, where they have one leading male role actress uh, who does the leads. Per that theater did, troupe. Yes, yes. So, there's five troops, one top star, so one male role actress, and... Almost always they have a partner female role specialist. That was invented kind of because of Rosa Versailles. That did not exist when they did the first production. Oh, can you tell me how Rosa Versailles led to the system being invented? Yeah, so this one is a is um not something that the the actresses have talked about so much, but Basically, it it made them way more uh, marketable because there's so much merchandise you can make for Rosa Versailles and other stuff, and it's much easier to take advantage of um, marketability if you can uh, solidify it. So I think a large part of it is just being able to concentrate uh, the promotions on one person in each troop instead of um, rotating the leads. Mm -hmm. And functionally, it had been headed that way for 10 or 12 years prior to that. Because if you look at top star lists, 
there will be like asterisk people back into the 60s but it was not really official until the late ish 70s like 76 is when you can start counting it what's very funny is that um haruna yuri has a different interpretation of when this started Oh, what's her interpretation? Uh, her interpretation is that she was top star of Moon Troop, from which is where the first Rose of Versailles happened, from 1972 to something like 1978 or so. That's that's something she's given in certain timelines, um, and she very much wasn't even in the troop that whole time. <laughs> So, and the the main star of Moon Troop at that time was basically uh, Hatsukaze Jun, who is the Musume Yaku star and probably one of the biggest uh, female role specialists they had for a very long time. So, yeah, it, it's it's very interesting looking at the starring actresses from the 1970s give the dates of when the top star system started because most of most of them don't agree interesting so you were saying that um takarazuka did like pretty much wall to wall rosa versailles for a while there uh yeah so there's i'm gonna see if how, how well i can remember this there's Rosa Versailles, which is just titled Rosa Versailles, uh, which was a one-act production. Uh, it's it's um it's surprisingly good. It makes some very weird choices. Oh, and things about it, it's it's clear that there are some things that were like immediately fixed to uh, appease the fans. And it's followed up... I think they had two different productions in 1975, like a grand... a main theater production and a touring production, and similar in 1976. And then a couple tours, another large production in 1979... And then I think they kind of backed off for a while, and then they did another very large wave of it in the uh, the late 80s. But basically, for from 1974 to 1979, there's probably not a period of more than a few months when Rosa Versailles was not happening. So... This was not the end of Rosa Versailles and Takarazuka. No. Uh, there are productions even to this day of, of of different shows based on different aspects of the manga. Yeah. Um, we've... Oh, sorry. <laughs> we are current... The last one they did was in 2015. It was an international tour that they took to Korea. Uh, and we've all been kind of waiting for it to come back since then. Everyone is eyeing, and by everyone, I mean me. I'm making it happen. We're eyeing um, 2022 through 2024 because that's the 2022 is the 50th anniversary of the manga, or is it 2023? And 2024 is going to be the 50th anniversary of the first Takarazuka production. So if there's not something, basically, um, I will I will be a one-man, a, a one-kitty revolt, because I, I demand something. Wasn't there going to be one that got canceled by the pandemic? Um, no. There was... What was there? Right before the pandemic, there was a large, um, a large gala performance. Uh, 
that brought back a lot of uh, people had po- who had performed in it in the past. Mm-hmm. So it featured like talk segments, concert segments, and then uh, semi-staged portions of older scripts. So that um, that happened in late 2019 for the 45th anniversary of the Rose of Versailles production. And um, definitely a lot of people thought it was leading towards a production. But if so, that has not come into fruition yet. They tend they tend to, unlike some of their other franchise shows that they will do steadily every two years, Rosa Versailles tends to hold off for several years and then everyone will do it. Like, the longest period we've gone without Rosa Versailles has been uh, 10 years. Mm. So, you said old scripts. Mm-hmm. How, how do different productions differ in script? Does, does any of the script carry over? Like, like how close and similar and different are, are different productions of Rosa yeah. Versailles material? So... Currently, there's a lot more overlap. Currently, there are three, 3.5 main scripts. There's um, Oscar, which is a weird one because it tends, to, it's the one that gets most rewritten every time they do it. So it's that, the main one. It's kind of the one that they put the most into whenever they do an Oscar build production, they're trying very, very hard. <laughs> um, so that one there are, and the other Oscar lead script is Oscar and Andre. You usually those overlap a fair amount. Um, but, and then there's the, Fersen and Marie Antoinette script, which weirdly I think is the one they've done the most. And that one comes in a full length and a tour length version, uh, because often if they tour it, they will do it at half, half length and have a uh, song and dance review to go with it. And there is also a, um, a straight Fersen script, but, uh, that that one is for some reason very rare and has only been done twice and didn't resemble each other either time. Um but usually in the very old productions, so the best example in the nineteen eighty nine through nineteen ninety one um Heisei wave, which is kind of the one they did after they knew what they were doing, they have four productions that pretty neatly cover different sections of the comic. So they managed to cover almost everything in the comic except when Oscar is a is a child. They usually skip over most of that just because it's a bit um, awkward to stage. Uh, so they, there's overlap because there's very famous songs, but there's different sections of plot that each script is covering. And so you were earlier talking about, um, the Gaiden shows, which, Mm -hmm. um, the creator actually had, uh, some part in. Yes. Can, Can you tell us what those are? So those happened through 2008 and 2009. There are three guidance and then there is one more. I say it like this because the Gaiden trilogy is some of the best Beruvara Rosa Versailles ever staged. And the other one is pretty bad. <laughs> so uh and it they were they do seem to be separate because I've seen them described in promotional materials of the time as the Gaiden trilogy, the side story trilogy, and then another one happened. Um, so Ikeda Ryoko 
seems to have given them outlines um and for for all four of them not just the first three because uh there is some material in the comics that matches it uh so there's the order went Jerodaru uh Aran Bernardo and um then Andre and I'm using the Japanese pronunciations because I will embarrass myself if I speak French. Um, so they covered bits of the bits of the manga that hadn't been covered before or hadn't been covered thoroughly, and also had post the end of the comic sections. So what happened to people after the comic ended? Because they they starred uh, the the main trilogy. Starred people who survived the revolution. So there's a uh, a framing story of uh, Napoleon coming into power and a assassination plot against him. And there there actually was a couple assassination plots against Napoleon right before he became emperor. So it's like. Definitely her doing her research there. And I I can't confirm which ones have she also made comics of later because I haven't read all of the new episodes yet. But um the Jerodaru story is very, very close to what she eventually did in the comic. And um the Andre story there's enough similarities to tell that she definitely gave them some information, but what the Takarazuka writer did with it was completely different from what she did with it later. Um, yeah. So, Kitty, mm-hmm. this, you are bilingual. In fact, yes. you translated a number of um, Takarazuka related articles and song lyrics. Yes. And you you read Rosa Versailles in the original. Yes. Um, what what is it like reading it as compared to the the show and um you know if if you've seen any of of the latest translation um how would you say it stacks up to the original? With the understanding that, of course, mm-hmm. translation is translation and nothing in this world is perfect. Yeah. Uh, so the the Takanaska productions are, they've kind of diverged more recently. They, there's still, there's still a lot of well-known scenes from the comic in there, but they've kind of, become a little bit of their own beast, but you're definitely if you've read the comic, you're definitely going to see lines that you recognize, whereas in um, the the 90s especially, they were being very, very close in the early 2000s. They were referencing the comic a lot closer, I think. But um, yeah, so so like reading reading the comic and going to the the show is very interesting because there's so a lot of it is focusing on on the visuals, especially in the very early productions. They they were very focused on doing these like very very theatrical like emotional poses uh so they they actually brought in a director who whose experience was in film and kabuki so he was using um if you know the kabuki term kata so it's like these more exaggerated poses that are solely meant to be uh like aesthetically expressive so so that's like 
sometimes you can really see that, like, oh, that's that bit right there. Um, and, and there actually are a surprising number of directly carried across lines from the comic into the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some of this was like, some of this was like enforced by the fans. Some of this was also, um, done by the performers. Like, there's a story of, in one of the late 80s productions, one of the guest actresses, uh, who was like a star from a different troupe who they had brought over to, to play a role for a few days, she realized that one of her, one of the most famous lines from the comic was not in the script. So she grabs the actress playing Oscar and it's like, hey, you have to say this, okay? It has to be in here. We can't leave this one out. Um, and so she, she does. And then it's been in the show since then. So there's definitely like the, the actresses know the comic. A lot of them got into Takadaska because of it or because of the Takadaska shows based on it. Uh, but yeah, so, so it's like if you're, if you're reading the comic and then watching the show, a lot of it is going to be like really trying to do the visuals, especially one of the most recent productions. They tried to do that even more. It was the 2014 production, which is one of their Oscar productions. So this one was one where they were really, really trying to bring in more from the manga that hadn't been done before. So that's a lot, a lot of very interesting stuff to see what they, uh, thought they should not be leaving out. Um, I have some disagreements on what they thought they should not be leaving out. Uh, but yeah, so it's, it's very interesting. You're going to see a lot that you know, but also especially, especially recently, it's, it's more of its own thing. If you watch, especially the, Heisei Wave, you're going to see much more of the manga content. But as for the the recent translation, it's definitely... I've not read it because I tend to buy comics in, in Japanese. Uh, just... Because I, was in, I uh, was in Japan and the, they have used bookstores there that are very cheap. So that's where I got all of my Rosa Versailles comics. Well, and um, also it wasn't translated. Yeah, and, and it also was not translated at that point. But yeah, it's it's like a huge endeavor um, to do it. So it's very impressive. Like that's a that's a lot, and it's like you have to do because she was so so detailed. You have to do a lot of historical research. Um, and and all of that. So I there's there's some um, some things one one could have done differently because there's a lot of uh because it's set in the the ancien regime. There's a lot of different speech levels going on. So that's always a struggle to translate. Like if you're trying to show someone code switching between registers, that's always very hard. So that's something that I think, um, since they were trying to do that, they had to do something. And I maybe might not have made the same choice, but also <laughs> like if you're, if you're doing the, the whole, the whole comic, you you have to at some point decide how you're going to to do these things, you know, and, yeah. and you have to make the call on that. Yeah, and so, you're negotiating between three languages: mm-hmm. English, yeah. Japanese, and English. <laughs> English, Japanese, and French, uh, all of which handle registers and formality mm-hmm. very differently. So it, it it yeah yeah I can see how there'd be a lot of different choices one could make. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's always, it's always very interesting seeing something like that get translated. So 
I want to just dip back to one thing you were talking about before, which is Rosa Versailles and merchandising. Yes. Um, there's a lot of it, isn't there? There's a lot, yeah. What What are some of the things that are and and have been merchandised with Rosa Versailles, the manga, and also Rosa Versailles, the show? Yeah, so, like, general Rosa Versailles merchandise, there's endless amounts of stationery. There's a, um, Karuta matching game set that I will at some point acquire. Um, there, there's the, the Udon line. <laughs> I think there's also a curry line. Uh, the, the Rosa Versailles makeup is actually, I believe, very highly regarded in Japan. <laughs> um, so there's that. There's, uh, the face masks that I keep buying and then giving to other people and never using myself. Um, there's, uh, what else? There's, there's an awful lot. Yeah. yeah I mean, there's, there's the Rose of Versailles wine. I know. And the <laughs> Rose of Versailles printed marshmallows, which was quite what? something. Yeah. Yes. Um, I don't know. They yeah. still make those, but, but when I was at, the uh Takarazuka gift store. Oh wild. There they they had some marshmallows that had Rosa Versailles stuff printed on them. Oh gosh. Yeah. They may what? not make those anymore. Yeah, I'm guessing that's probably a performance only thing. But yeah, one of the more well known and rarer pieces of Takarazuka merchandise is the um the Pegasus plush. Because, uh, I think in the, in the comic, there's the painting of Oscar where she's riding the Pegasus. Mm-hmm. So in the, uh, Oscar production, I believe this is still only in Oscar and only in two of them because in one of them she was wearing a dress instead. Um, so in the Oscar production at the end of Act One, Andre has this monologue about Oscar's painting because he's losing his sight and he can't see it well enough and he wants to be able to see her in the painting. Um, so then Oscar is shown on stage on a mechanical Pegasus, which is on an arm that goes out over the orchestra pit. Uh so that's like memorable. Yes. So th- there, I think in both of the recent Oscar productions, they sold a plush of the Pegasus and it's very cute and I want one. So, and there's, there's also, if you have lots of money, you can go and dress up in replicas of the Rose of Versailles costumes and get your picture taken in uh full Takarazuka stage makeup. Yes, and, and if you have slightly less money, you can have your picture taken in the costume without the makeup. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, every every time there's a Rosa Versailles they will put out huge amounts of merchandise for it. And and like that's not even going into um you know, all of the stage photos that they sell. Uh, and the soundtracks and the DVDs and the other DVDs and all of the rotating cast DVDs. Like if you wanted to get 2006, there's the main production DVD, which is two discs. And then I think they had five more DVDs just if you wanted to see the guest stars. Yeah. Um, and, and listeners, these aren't Japanese DVDs. They are, they are much more expensive yes. than their American equivalent. Yeah. Um, so what would you say is the influence Rosa Versailles had on Takarazuka shows? Not all of them, but, but many Takarazuka shows made after the Rosa Versailles boom. Um, 
for one thing, it, you could immediately assume that the average Tarkovsky goer would know everything about the French Revolution, which is kind <laughs> of which is kind of fascinating because it means unlike just about any other realm of fiction you have multiple like dozens of shows about the french revolution in conversation with each other so it's very very interesting because you can see different writers taking different approaches to these these characters um and, and that's very interesting because like in the west you have Marie Antoinette the movie from 2006 and Marie Antoinette the movie from 1938 and that's it and they're based on the same source material pretty much right and you also have um any number of things based on the scarlet Pimpernel, yes, which is a, a very, very different take on the Yeah, subject. and actually, Takarazuka got to the Scarlet Pimpernel well, well before Broadway did. The first, the first Scarlet Pimpernel production from Takarazuka was actually just after the height of the Barabada boom. I think it was in 1979. So they they got to they, it was directly based on the original stage play I think so yeah. so it it also instantly made Western period costume spectacle one of Takarazuka's main stage which it hadn't quite been before like they did it but uh they they at the time some of their most famous shows were uh were like Japanese plays. And um, other things like that. Like, I every once in a while I like go th- go through information about really really old Takarazuka productions. And like in the late '60s, before Rose of Versailles, there they were kind of a a little bit struggling for material. So there's one show. Where like a European princess takes a vacation to the U.S. and she falls in love with a guy during the Army Navy college football game. Ah uh, yes, so That's such a classic story for the ages. Yeah, yeah. So so it's instantly you get uh, Takarazuka being much much more associated with um the the period costume spectacles and also i think you can kind of see budgets go up if you start watching with rosa versailles and then through into the the 80s yeah and it, it is helped by the fact that takarazuka recycles costumes so i do wonder whether the uh love of the French Revolution is self-reinforcing, and so so are the production values. What's interesting is at this point, they basically have visibly at least three separate French Revolution costume stocks. They have the Rose of Versailles stock, they have the Scarlet Pimpernel and other more realistic bent French Revolution stock, and they have the um, kind of fantasy neon Rococo stock that they use uh, for French musicals. And you could, if if you uh, obsess over costumes and watch too much Takarazuka, it they they you can see which ones they're using for for these different shows so i think i think you need to let us know just how many different shows takarazuka does that features the french revolution in one way shape or form okay um so i think there have been i want to say there have been 40 productions of rose of versailles Mm-hmm. Um, Something like that. Yeah, there's, and then since about 2000, 
I'm I I don't you want to go back further than that. Okay, so you have the Scarlet Pimpernel, which they've done three times since 2008, which is separate from their in-house Scarlet Pimpernel. You have um, 1789, which is based on the French musical. You have um, the Poem of Love and Revolution, which is based on uh, Andrea Chenier, which is an opera by, I think, Verdi. Um, you have Jean-Louis Farjan, which is interesting, and in that is, it is, I think, one of probably the only Takarazuka show based on a nonfiction book. Uh, it's based on a biography of the Queen's perfumer uh, right before the revolution. Um, there's another one that's kind of about the Count of uh, Count of Saint Germain. Yes, uh, that that would be a jure moment. Yes, which uh, honestly, I think, has one of the best portrayals of Marie Antoinette worldwide, that specific show. <laughs> um, and then I think I think pre from 2000 to 2008, it's mostly just Rose of Versailles because they did that a lot right about then. Uh, oh, yeah. And then you have the. um. The interesting recent Robespierre fad, uh, which is interesting, <laughs> um, where Robespierre has become more prominent in Takarazuka French Revolution productions. It's very because, interesting. Because he had a major part in the um, Scarlet Pimpernel. Yeah. Musical. Yeah. Interesting. Because he was not. He was not in it before then. Like, Robespierre is in the Rose of Versailles, but he is not. He turns up for, like, 30-second unrecognizable cameos in the stage musicals up until now. But in the 2017 Scarlet Pimpernel production, Robespierre had a expanded role and was cast as a much more attractive actress. Um, because usually they give it to one of the older performers, but they gave it to someone who was actually, you know, closer to the age Robespierre actually was at the time. So after that, uh, Robespierre, then they had an entire Robespierre musical. Uh, so I'm, I'm very curious when Takaraska does Rose of Versailles again, whether we might see much more expanded roles for Robespierre and if possibly also uh, Louis-Antoine de Saint-Just may turn up because he also just appeared in Takarazka French Revolution materials for the very first time in the Robespierre musical from 2018. And then also there's, of course, the um, the Lupin Vaguely Marie Antoinette-ish music yes, as well. Which which actually is it is when you take out the time travel hijinks, it's honestly a very accurate portrayal of the situation, which was intensely stupid in real life. Yeah. yeah. So so yeah, all of this is really the child of Rosa Versailles. Yeah. And you also had, um, interestingly, in the very early 80s. So in the 70s and 80s, the mainstay writers of large budget Takarazuka shows, the, the ones w- were um, Ueda Shinji, who wrote the original Rosa Versailles. And uh, the somewhat, I think somewhat younger is uh, Shibata Yukihiro. And Shibata Yukihiro never did anything based on Rose of Versailles. But a few years after that, in 1979 and 1980, he did two musicals based on, um, based on, ostensibly Japanese comics based on the French book series 
Angelique, uh, which is fairly famous in France, but I think has been uh, only translated into English in the 60s and has gone out of print. But this, I feel like I'm still collect trying to collect more information on it because it's the 70s, and so you have to get these really old magazines and try and get them shipped from Japan, and you're trying to figure out which ones in the random lots on Yahoo auctions might have something that you want. But anyway, it looks like a pretty transparent attempt to follow up on Rosa Versailles. Uh, because for one thing, they, they put, uh, Rose in one of the titles when it very much was not in any of the book or manga titles. And it's, very similar aesthetic with, I believe, the same songwriter as had done Rosa Versailles. So I, I feel like they were trying to maybe do Rosa Versailles part two, but maybe it didn't succeed as well because they only made two of them and there was still stuff in the manga that they could have covered and were kind of hinting at that would have been in maybe a follow-up show that never happened. Hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's very interesting. So if you could, how will I put this? Yeah. If you could explain to an American listener or an English speaking listener who hasn't read or watched Rose of Versailles, just why this is such an important manga. What, what would you say? Oh, so for one thing, I think for one thing, it is surprisingly relatable because a lot of it is um, Marie Antoinette's struggles being trying to be a person in this very, very stifling environment. So, so like, there's a lot of stuff that's relatable, and then there's also a lot of stuff that's relatable uh, in terms of gender presentation feelings, um, societal relationship norms, especially when you get into um, Oscar and Andre's relationship. Uh, so there's like a lot of very interesting stuff, and then it's all very, very pretty drawings and very, very emotive. Like, like it's it's hard to to look at the pages of Rosa Versailles and not feel feelings. And um, something that's sadly lacking in the Takanosuka productions is that. The Rosa Versailles manga is very funny. And uh, Ueda Shinji forgets this a lot because he is a very old man. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much. Um, listeners, if you, if you want to learn more about... Um, Rose of Versailles and Takarazuka, I heartily recommend you to the uh, Takarazuka fan podcast. And also, you know, if you want to see clips of, you know, scenes from or or parts of songs from the Rose of Versailles Takarazuka musical, um, there there are clips on YouTube. Yes. Yeah. And then if you can read Japanese and you're interested in the history of Rose of Versailles, a lot of this stuff I learned from a book called Rosa Versailles and Me, Berubara to Watashi, which was published in, uh, I think it was published in late 2005 to uh, capitalize on the upcoming Takarazuka Productions in 2006. So it's long form interviews with former Takarazuka actresses who had been in the show. It's like as close as we're going to get to an oral history of the Rose of Versailles. Thank you. Um, thanks for making it on our show, and um, thanks for, for digging deep here. <laughs>